It's Against All Odds presented by FanDuel. You know, the playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. You filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today. And bet with Fandle, America's number one sports book. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. You must be 21 or older, 18 or older in D.C., and present in select states. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal, you're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it you can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. All right, welcome to Against All Odds, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. Let's bring in our guest. He is not only a four-time Pro Bowl quarterback and Super Bowl champion, but an award-winning winemaker. That's right, he's mastered the deep pass as well as the deep reds. Drew Bledsoe is here. What's happening, Drew? Oh, man, great to be here. Great to be here. Drew, I was I was stuck in a Drew Bledsoe rabbit hole last night. Not a, play, a bad place to be as a football fan, but I relived the uh, 97 quarterback challenge. I've watched this a bunch over the years. Um, I don't know if you want to relive it, but it was you and Brett Favre essentially faced off in the Super Bowl of QB throws. It was insane. You threw a ball 74 yards, and then he had to go to overtime, and he hit your flag and it was ruled that the ball went 75 yards. There was no instant replay with this, right? There was no instant replay. I feel like I was completely robbed. Uh, <laughs> you know, and the, the funny thing with that one was uh, that Brett, his first two throws, you know, you have to land that ball in between the hash marks in mm-hmm. order for it to count. And I don't think that showed up on the highlights. Well, Brett threw the first two, and he didn't even land them in bounds. So, you know, wow. I felt like, you know, the fact that I was able to throw it and keep it in between the lines should have counted for something. Uh, yeah. and then, uh, he, yeah, he hit my, hit my stick. I think, I think they should have called it a tie. I think we should have split the winnings and I'm still very bitter about it. I agree. I don't blame you at all. And you're right. He didn't land in bounds and he should have been flagged for intentional grounding. He should have had to start back, um, 10 or 15 yards or something. <laughs> yeah. See, exactly. Exactly. I was robbed. It was a conspiracy. And I, <laughs> I'm really I'm in your corner. How long do you think you could, you know, our producer, Mikey Meatballs, we had a uh, football throwing competition in January and he crushed us all. His, he went about 56, 57 yards. How, how far can you fling it? Can you beat that? Can you beat Mikey Meatballs? Uh, yeah, I think I can still get that. It, it takes me a long time to warm up. It takes like 35 or 40 throws before it gets loose, but it, it'll still get going. It'll still all get right. on, around a little bit. 
So I was out for the uh, the uh, uh, Patriots Bills game last weekend, and uh, I was throwing it throwing it around with some of the young kids out at the tailgate parties, and uh, yeah, it still feels pretty good. Nice, very good. All right, you know, arm strength. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. It used to be, I think, the number one factor in drafting a quarterback, and I feel like it's fallen to third or fourth now. Is that right, or is, well, is, is it well, you correct? Know, I think, and I think it was- it was always it was always something that 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 teams looked at, but in terms of you know important attributes for a quarterback, you know it's probably like fourth or fifth. You know, honestly, you know, yeah. decision making is number one. Timing, uh, number two, accuracy is more important than arm strength, um, and then your you know just your ability to. Um, make the big decision that doesn't hurt your team as, you know, it's, it's, you know, you kind of have to take the, like the doctor's Hippocratic oath first, do no harm. Uh, and then after that, uh, then, you know, then arm strength certainly helps if you can get all the other stuff, but if you don't have the other stuff, it doesn't matter how hard you can throw it. Um, you know, there yeah. are a lot of guys over the years that could throw it really hard that, that, uh, you know, weren't ultimately successful playing the position. Yeah, and if you're a GM, you might want to add, like, how many games played, right? We've seen that go all different ways, but are you a proponent of, hey, this kid has a, a year or two as a, as a, you know, as a starter under his belt in a big conference? Yeah, I think that I think that's definitely helpful. You know, and if, uh, you know, just, you know, playing quarterback, it's like anything else you do athletically or probably just anything else you do in life. You know, the more reps you have, the more time mm-hmm. – you've seen pictures and, and you, that you've done it, uh, the better off you're going to be. Um, and, and also, you know, shoot, you know, you, you look at some of these quarterbacks, uh, you know, a lot of guys can have a good year, uh, you know, flash for one year, uh, yeah. and then sometimes you fall off. So if you've got a, if you've got a bigger body of work to really judge what somebody is, you don't have to, to guess or try to predict, you know, you can actually see the evidence. One of your former teams we just saw on Thursday night, the Bills. Was Bills Mafia a thing when you were there in 2002? Did you feel protected at all? Uh, yeah, oh yeah, definitely felt protected. I was on, I was, I was on the inside. I was, I was, okay. uh, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was a, I was a made man in the, uh, in the, uh, in the Bills Mafia. Uh, oh, nice. But uh, uh, the, uh, uh, I don't know if that's an official thing, by the way, but I did feel like I was protected. <laughs> I think it's pretty uh, official. Yeah, but I will tell you, I will tell you that uh, that the Bills following is pretty unique in in uh, in my experience because you know everywhere we went, there was a Bills contingent in every city that we went to, and they would show up in in, in mass and and uh, and in force, and then they would make noise and I, the jumping on a tables thing that didn't exist when I was playing. I don't, I'm not really sure how that happened and how that became like the thing they are most proud of is that they jump on folding tables. I'm not sure that is the strongest endorsement for uh, the, the, uh, the, the bills fans out there, but, but they're, they're, they're truly uh, diehard fans and they, uh, they show up. We went to a game out there earlier this year. And I think they get about 200,000 people for the, uh, for the tailgate party and only 70,000 can go inside the game. So you got 130,000 people that just show up for the party uh, and don't even get to go inside the stadium. Yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah, it's interesting because I'm a huge Cowboys fan and the two fan bases I always get crap about that they should be America's team are the Bills and the Patriots. So as someone who played for all three, who is America's team? I'm interested in your opinion, unless you say it's not the Cowboys and I don't care. We'll just delete. That. Right, right. Yeah. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't even know who gets to <laughs> who gets to decide that. But, uh, um, you know, the Cowboys do have a strong fan base, strong traveling fan base. You know, you go to uh 
you know, some of the, uh, some of the away stadiums and they see mm-hmm. like home stadiums sometimes. So, uh, the Cowboys do travel very well, but I will say that the Cowboys, um, are certainly the most, um, what, um, polarizing, you know, everybody has an opinion on the Cowboys, mm. either love them or they hate them. And there's almost no, there's almost no yeah. middle ground with the Cowboys. When I was, when I signed with the Cowboys, I got a lot of friends that grew up on the West coast that, that, um, were big Niners fans growing up just cause they're on the West coast. And boy, that was mm. really, really hard for them, uh, for a couple <laughs> years, for a couple years to, uh, you know, to, to, try to at least pretend to be Cowboys fans after spending their whole life hating the Cowboys. I can imagine. And, you know, you, you talk about fan bases traveling and sometimes having more fans. It's very bizarre. I don't think you had to go through this, you know, two decades ago or when you were playing, but it, uh, you know, you get these Rams and these Chargers home games and they're really away games. And then you see the Raiders who had a just incredible fan base in Oakland and now they're in Las Vegas. And that seems like, uh, they, the Raiders don't get a home game until they go to LA. It's it's have we seen anything yeah. like this in sports? No, I think that's I think that's accurate. We went to went to a game out there. We we're asking, you know, one of the uh, one of the the Raiders guys, um, and he's like, "Yeah, it feels like we're it feels like we never get to have a home field advantage." Uh, you know, because it, you know everybody. If you want to go, you want to go watch your team, and you're going to go to an away game for your team. Of course, you want to go to Vegas, so everybody wants to go do that. Um, and then, you know, the really diehard Raiders fans can't make that trip all the time and it's damn expensive to do it. So, um, yeah, it is, I mean, it's an unbelievably cool new stadium, uh, but it is not much of a home field advantage for the Raiders. Yeah. It's almost better to play in a city, no offense, but where there is no, uh, tourist attraction. Like, uh, if you're <laughs> deep, deep in the, in, in Montana, it's all going to be right. All going to be Montana fans, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. No, the, uh, when they have uh, when the the Montana Grizzlies or the Montana State uh, uh, guys are, are playing, uh, man, there's there's uh, there's not much else happening in the entire state of Montana <laughs> when those games are on. And when they have the brawl of the wild where they play each other, you, you know, if if you're not watching that game, then uh, you know you're way on the outside in Montana. Right. So I want to give you some credit here uh, that I don't feel you get often. And I'm going to take you back to that 2001 season, which I'm sure is bittersweet. So plug your ears if you must. But I I have to get this off my chest. You take a hit from Mo Lewis, you're rushed to the hospital that you like sheared a blood vessel in your chest. You were like bleeding a, a pint of blood per hour. And then fast forward to the AFC championship against the Steelers. You come in for Brady, who has now succeeded you. You're playing in the game after all. This is nothing short of heroic. And I feel like you should get, first of all, I feel like you should have won comeback player of the year within that year. I don't know who won it in 2001, 2002, but um, were, you, were you like, hey, everybody, look, look at me for a second here. Look what I've done. I was bleeding to death a minute ago. Yeah, you know, I I, uh, I tell people that, that getting to play in that game is like if you if, if somebody's star if you're starving and somebody gives you a cracker, you know, you're like, <laughs> oh wow, okay, that was that was awesome. But then, uh, but then, you know, get in, get to go in and play, and then we play in the big game the next week, and and now Tommy's back on the field. Uh, so it was uh, it was a great feeling to be able to get back out there and play a little bit and help us uh, help us to to win the game to get to the Super Bowl. Uh, but then it made it even even rougher the next week when I didn't get to play in the uh, the, the big game. But um, no, that was a crazy season. Definitely the definition of bittersweet. You know, so happy for my team and my teammates. But personally, it was uh, that was that was a tough one. You know what? I think it's for the best for you. You, you might have been sentenced to a life of kale smoothies versus uh, wine tasting excursions. So <laughs> right. I think it worked out. 
I don't, did yeah, you root? <laughs> did you uh, did you root for the Patriots and Brady and all their Super Bowls, or you know, at that point? Oh, no, like, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, think about you know, not, certainly not, certainly not right away. Um, you know, it does, yeah. doesn't matter. I have great respect for Tom and for the Kraft family and for the entire organization. But you know, I mean, if you if you get fired from a job, are you are you uh, are you really going to go cheer for that company to be super successful after you leave? I mean, I don't think anybody would do that. Uh, but, uh, certainly since then, you know, I've, I've got, uh, um, um, great affection for, you know, for the, the craft family, for that organization and actually for the region, it's really fun to go back and see old fans and old friends. And, and, uh, so, you know, but that t- certainly took a little while before, uh, before I could come back around to that. Absolutely. You know what? That's a refreshing answer. I like that. I like mm-hmm. it. Now you, you played for three of the all time greats, Parcells, Belichick, Pete Carroll. I want to ask you about the difference between the two bills. Um, mm-hmm. what was there? Uh, well, what I want to really know is who are you more afraid of pissing off out of the two? <laughs> you know, the, well, the interesting thing with the, with those, those three coaches, right. You know, you got Parcells, Pete Carroll and, and Belichick who all will be hall of famers. Um, mm-hmm. you know, outwardly, you know, if you're watching press conferences and you're watching from a media standpoint, radically different guys, you know, Parcells is like the godfather from New Jersey. And then Pete's all upbeat and, you know, um, fired up and positive. And then, and then Belichick is, you know, um, you know, just like famous for being just so businesslike, you know, no emotion, you know, none of that. Um, so, you know, outwardly, you know, very different, but the thing that was interesting is that, uh, the things that allowed them all to be successful were really the same things. You know, I mean, it was it was attention to detail. It was competing every day, uh, being when you're where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there. Um, you know, all of those those things that are, that are uh, uh, important for success were they were really the same with those three guys. Um, and in terms of who I was afraid of pissing off, I mean, shoot, you know, think about it. I played for Parcells when I was 21, um, and the, mm. the the best thing. About <clears throat> the best thing about Sundays, um, you know, getting to go to the game was that he had to be at least 30, 35 yards away from me. So he couldn't be in my ear while I was trying to uh, <laughs> trying to execute the offense. He had to be over there on the sidelines, which I, I always appreciated that piece of it. Yeah, I guess it's a, in, actually an easy answer, right? Because he like he was very vocal, whereas I don't know Belichick would probably just ignore you, and that was a different kind yeah, of. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, it was just you know, wasn't it wasn't necessarily no, was never never afraid of him, but he was just annoying. Yeah. You know, just that, uh, that <laughs> voice that was always in your always in your ear while you're trying to practice. Our area, you know, you still hold. Uh, I know you know this. The the record for most uh, pass attempts and completions in a game, ninety four against Warren Moon. 45 for 70, 426 yards, three touchdowns. It was a 26-20 game. Yeah, yeah, and and you guys won. Like you would think anyone nowadays who even sniffs 70 and no one really does, it's in a losing effort and they're down three touchdowns heading into the second half. But uh what do you remember from that game? And is your arm still sore? Uh, yeah, right. The, the uh the well the the reason the reason it ended up being that way is because we were down. You know, we were we were down points i think at one point um and uh, we had a two-minute drive at the end of the half and then um you know scott zolak who was my backup quarterback at the time he claims that it was his idea uh just said hey let's go two-minute offense you know just just mm. give it to the uh give it to the kid and let him go and uh so the, the 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 more interesting statistic from that game was we threw it i think we threw it 53 times after halftime um so it was you know the second half was was going and then you know and then we our defense stepped up and caused some turnovers and you know all of this stuff so we had the ball enough to do that too 
Um, mm. But yeah, it was, uh, that was a really fun game to come from behind like that and win it in overtime. At some point, don't, do you wish you had invented the tush push, had come up with that idea in the middle of the game? Like, my arm is falling off. Can someone just uh, push me yeah, from behind for three plays? Somebody just come in and push me. They, 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 yeah. Yeah, it seems it's funny. It's like almost like they're uh, reinventing rugby in, uh, in some ways with that, uh, with that deal, which, but it seems pretty effective. I hate it. I don't know how you feel about it because I'm a Cowboys fan and it works for the Eagles 130% of the time. So, you know, if it, if it was the other way around, I might not say anything, but <clears throat> I don't think the answer is, Hey, just stop it. If you, uh, if you don't like it so much, like if it's not a football play, that shouldn't be the answer. Right. Or am I overthinking this? Yeah, I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see if they continue to allow it, but you know, the, the, th- overlook on that is it's not necessarily just the scheme it's it's also those guys up front you know starting with Kelsey center um you know if those guys aren't you know dominant uh in the middle of that at the start of it then that play never really gets started so you know the the scheme is part of it but it's also the dudes that are doing it that are and and Jalen Hurts you know Jalen Hurts was a um like he I think he was a nationally ranked power lifter so you know as a quarterback yeah you know and it's not like uh it's not like that's, you know, some skinny little twerp at quarterback that's 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 running with the ball. You got a guy that, you know, probably squatted 600 pounds in high school. That's the quarterback carrying the ball. So, uh, you know, you put all of those factors together. It makes for a pretty tough play to stop. Well, and that's my other point. This is emasculating if you're Jalen Hurts. You're like, hey, why do I need all this help? I, I didn't even know about all the squatting and everything. Like, oh, guys, I got this myself, but no. Yeah, yeah. I think you'd probably be pretty effective without the help, but with that help, boy, that's, that's a lot of strong humanity uh, coming down on you. Yeah, you obviously had a great run at Washington State. Um, I saw your Cougars play live this uh, past weekend. I was in Oregon. My kids are freshmen there. So um, they know. play tough. They stay tough. Uh, yeah, they covered the spread. So um, more importantly, what do you do if that you're them in this Pac-12 disaster? It's very sad what's become of the Pac-12. And now they're the odd man, one of the odd men uh, on the outs looking in. If the AD came to you for advice, what would you say in terms of what to do with the program? Well, first of all, I, I, I'm I, I'm sorry for you that your kid had to go to Oregon. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I'm certain that's because he couldn't get, get into Washington State, which that's is exactly just, right. I'm sure, it's a, <laughs> I'm sure it's a sad thing for your entire family that he has to it be is. a duck. But uh, uh, but uh, yeah, I don't I don't know what the answer is. I truly, truly don't. I just think it's it's a it's a sad state of affairs. You know, we've got a lot of um, pack. Pac-8, Pac-10, Pac-12 history in our own family. My dad played for the Washington Huskies. My brother mm-hmm. played for the Buffs. I played for Wazoo. My son played for Wazoo. So we got three generations of, you know, Pac-12 football players. And to have that not be in existence anymore is, is uh, it's really a shame. And I don't know, I don't know where it's going to land. I really don't. Um, I hope there's always a Pacific Athletic Conference. Uh, it seems yeah. like a shame to have, you know, I mean, and, and, and some of it just makes no sense when you look at it. Now you got uh, what Stanford and Cal and the Atlantic Coast Conference uh, and they're on the Pacific Ocean. They're like, wait a second, this just doesn't make any sense. So I don't know. I, the, the whole thing is sad. I think it's been terribly mismanaged, you know, for a lot of years on the at the, at the Pac-12 level. Um, and I hope that they find a way to uh, to salvage something. But for the Cougs and the, and the Beavers, uh, you know, the two remaining teams, you know, they're just kind of hanging out there in limbo trying to figure out what, you know, where they're going to be, what they're going to do. 
Yeah, it's a mess geographically and, you know, the, the, from a rooting interest. Even this year, you have like five quarterbacks that could probably will play on Sundays eventually, right? So it's a uh, it, – Yeah, it's, like it's, uh, it's – yeah, it's – you know, the Pac-12 is the most relevant it's been in many, many years in its final year of real existence. Uh, it's uh, just the whole thing. It's pretty sad. There you go. And Drew is waiting for a rematch with Brett Favre. That's going to happen soon. Absolutely. Yeah. The, uh, the, like the uh, senior division uh, quarterback <laughs> challenge would actually be kind of a funny thing to watch. There you go. Drew Bledsoe, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Appreciate it, man. Great talking to you. This episode is brought to you by Viore. I love sports. I know you do too. I also know that lots of you exercise, but if you're like me and my wife, the the beloved sports gal. You're sick and tired of ugly, uncomfortable workout gear, especially, you know, I do a lot of walking. I walk around LA. I make calls. I listen to podcasts. Here are two words that will change everything. Viore clothing, a line of activewear that is unbelievable. The best thing about Viore is you can lounge around in it. You can work out in it. You can go outside. You can go shopping down in your local wherever. And you never feel like you're either underdressed or overdressed. You're just comfortable. You can wear it when you're training, traveling, lounging around the house. Go get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet. Here's the deal. Our listeners get 20% off their first purchase at viori.com slash Simmons. Once again, V-U-O-R-I.com slash Simmons. All right, welcome back to Cousin Sal's Winning Weekend. Very exciting times. Let's bring in our guest. He is a Super Bowl MVP with the New York Giants, 1986, after a near-flawless performance. Looking at him now, his head of hair remains just as flawless. One of the all-time <laughs> greats, NFL on CBS analyst Phil Sims. Phil, thanks for being here. All right, Sal, thank you very much. This has been work, but, you know, I'm sorry. I Man, I try to stay to my calendar, and I know things are going on, but I missed you. But it's all good. Good to talk to you, and I, I like what's behind you here. See a nice helmet. I see some trophies. Then I see cowboys. Okay. <laughs> I, got right. I have a lot going on. I'm a native New Yorker. Somehow uh, grew up rooting for the cowboys. But when you were in charge, it didn't. It wasn't even a contest. You beat us up uh, pretty good. It was only after you left that we had a chance. Yeah, right. I took some severe whippings from the cowboys early in my career <laughs> and late. I'm telling you, I, I won't get off track here. In 1993, right. we were playing the last game of the year for the you know, to win the division and get a high seed. We were whatever. And mm -hmm. our, I'll never forget my quarterback coach came in the meeting on Wednesday morning. I said, so what do you think? He goes, Oh, they're really good. And I go, well, I don't want to hear <laughs> that. And but that team in 1993, that went on to win a Super Bowl. Uh, they were eight deep for real. Sal, as you remember yeah. uh, on the defensive line. I mean, they were loaded. And uh, that was the week 17 game. Was that when Emmett went crazy? He went, that was yeah, in Giants so we stadium, went into right? overtime yeah. and Emmett Smith mm -hmm. was, had seven broken legs and everything else. They kept <laughs> running and uh, yeah, it was uh, over. It, it was a great game. I'll tell you, it's one of the, it's one of my fondest memories of football Yeah, because, you know, we did everything we could and played as well as we could, could and kept it close really the whole year long. And to take the Cowboys at that time into overtime, I, you know, one of my teammates said to me, what do you think? I said, if we win this game, man, we could go to the Super Bowl. He goes, well, what if we lose? I said, we're in trouble. 
So I knew we <laughs> needed tough. home field advantage to get it done. Right. Back then you had a couple of buys, right? Now it's uh now it's just the one. Uh, just one we'll talk yeah. about the playoffs in, in a second. I'm not sure if you heard this. I was driving to work the other day, but your former teammate Lawrence Taylor was on a radio show with Tom Brady. Right. And uh Jim Gray asked LT which quarterback, past or present, that he would want to sack if he had a chance to sack him. And guess <laughs> what he had answered. Uh, I know what he answered. Me. Go ahead. Yeah, me. He'd always <laughs> say, you. he'd run by me in practice. He goes, oh, my God, I just want to hit you one time. I said, yeah, but you can't. <laughs> oh, it was great. It was great. I thought the whole 20-minute lead up to what I was listening to was what LT would have done to Brady. And Brady, you're lucky you didn't play with me. So I figured that was the easy answer. He's like, oh, no, Phil Sims is the answer. He talks so much. Coach wouldn't let us hit him, which makes sense, of course. Yeah, of but, course. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. You must have loved that you had that shield, right? That built-in shield there. Oh, yeah, man. We would laugh about it all the time. He just would run by me going, oh, man, Sims. i go, yeah, I know. It ain't going to happen, big boy. And, uh, you know, Lawrence is every time I've been with him and we do stuff together every once in a while. It's been a couple of years since we've done it. But he mm. always tells the crowd and everybody that he – taught me really how to play quarterback. And I had to oh. listen to that story all the time. He actually believes it. You know, you would just <laughs> throw it down the field deep. You would think it was all. And I told you, you know, throw it short. Uh, I said, yeah, Lawrence, I remember that really. I don't remember any of that, but he takes credit <laughs> for it. Any success I had. So who well, are you to disagree with him? Well, you should take credit for him being uh, one of the all-time great pass rushers. Honestly, oh, uh, turn about his fair play, I think. Um yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, well, oh, I no, want to start with your, say, uh, when he ahead. was a rookie yeah, in 1981. Mm -hmm. We had our first scrimmage of the training camp, and mm -hmm. I, you know, I can't remember, and the story gets bigger, but I think he had like six sacks in the first 10 plays. They made him get out of the scrimmage so we could do something else besides get sacked. Uh, so <laughs> I think then everybody goes, Oh, this guy is really, really special, and of course, he proved that in his career. Belichick was the DC for a couple of those years, right? Oh, sure. With, Belichick with was the DC for quite a few of Lawrence's years. I mean, mm -hmm. most of it. I think he was, I don't know what year Bill Belichick became the offense, a defensive coordinator, but I would say he probably had Lawrence for anywhere from six, eight, nine years of his career. And was he on the same page as Coach Parcells with the don't touch the quarterback uh, thing in practice? Or did he try, oh. try to make things interesting sometimes? Oh, no, Sal. He can't hit the damn quarterback in practice. It's rough enough out it. there as it is. I know. I mean, I had I Reggie know. White hit me for most of my career. And, you know, <laughs> Charles Mann, Dexter Manley. Oh, my God. Right. And of course, maybe the worst. I'm trying to think. Uh, oh, let me think about San Francisco. Well, they had some. Older guys there from San Diego when I first got there, uh, when at 84, they were beating me up. And um, who am I thinking of? The Charles Haley. From the, oh, oh Charles God. Haley, yeah, who went to the I Cowboys afterwards. In San Francisco yeah. and Dallas. Mm -hmm. so, right, right. Yeah, and Charles was one of those guys, when he hit you, it really hurt. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes you could take a sack and it's no big deal. But for some reason, when he hit you, he was so fast and he's just a bigger guy than people realize. Man, it yeah. hurt when he hit. That's for sure. Yeah. You know what? I, I, I cite, you know, they talk about quarterback injuries and everything. And there are about seven or eight reasons why, why they're getting hurt and why the game is different. But one of mine that I would throw out is that the edge rushers, there are so many better edge rushers. Now, you just threw out a half a dozen names. I Maybe maybe I'm overstating that. Maybe I'm romanticizing that too much. They were there are a bunch of killers out there when you played. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It seems like there was very few games we played where I didn't have to go, wow, okay, if this guy's over there, make sure you have the protection go to him and da da da, da. I mean, Richard Dent, when we played Chicago, all I heard about was Richard Dent, Richard Dent, Richard, you know, that's all we talked about. We didn't talk about mm -hmm. really anything. And then, of course, Wilbur Marshall for a few years, he was unbelievable also. But Richard Dent was yeah. it, it was amazing talent, that it took so long for him to get in the Hall of Fame. Why? I don't know. But he was probably right up there to me, the biggest pain in my neck next to Reggie White <laughs> and a few other guys. But Richard Dent was big, tough, and he really didn't like me. So, man, he took it out on me every chance he got. So, for like for Does real, that... he would talk openly of how much he didn't like me. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. It was fine. One night we were playing a Monday night football game in Chicago, and he was having a field day. He was hitting me a lot, but I was getting the pass off. And once he really hit me hard, thank God they had grass, and I just kind of threw it out of the back of my hand for a touchdown. And he's laying on top of me, and I said, you having a good time? He goes, oh, yeah, I'm having a great time. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think that kind of maybe broke the ice a little bit. And, of yeah. course, my career was over. I talked about him a lot, how he was just one of the best I've uh, faced. Yeah, breaking the ice is one thing. Your, your collarbone is, is the next. I wonder well, if, you know. if, if is that the team that you were surprised didn't win multiple titles, uh, most surprised that, that Bears team? You know, I, I don't think anything surprises surprises me about, you know, if you win multiple or you don't win any, it's just, mm. it really has to fall for you. You know, and I think about the two Super Bowls we won. I mean, man, you know, it's, it, it's always close. There's going to be breaks and whatever and yeah. tough uh, decisions by the coach. I mean, you know, we won our first one in 86, you know, Bill Parcells, he made like five decisions during that playoff run that I look back and go, wow, those were really edgy, way ahead of their time, going forward on fourth, trick plays, fake field goals, flea flickers, you know, hey, kicking the ball off in the championship game against Washington when we were having like 35 to 40 mile an hour wins, and we won the coin toss, and we took one end because he said, mm -hmm. I want us to score first and make them chase us. And it was a brilliant decision which most people wouldn't make even nowadays about that. But Bill was a risk taker and everybody thinks about him in certain ways, but he was a risk taker and he loved running the ball and he loved big plays down the field. You know? Yeah. You didn't want to check it down, throw it down the field Sims. They're not covered <laughs> coach. Oh, you're just worried about your completion percentage. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody cared you back know. then, which was great. You know, we didn't have QBRs and all that other stuff that we see now and oh you know so and so threw for 300 yards and five touchdowns but he did throw an interception oh, God, it <laughs> well you know that said 22 for 25 still lives well, in yeah. for me yeah that was the super bowl. great number i don't yeah. know why i didn't play like that more sal but you know, <laughs> i had no well, emotions listen. that day playing i was really? as calm as i've ever been in my life and mm -hmm. you know there were many games in my career where you know, I was a mo an emotional guy and yelled a lot, talked a lot, whatever. And um, looking back, if I could change it, I probably would would have. But it's too late. To you know what I think it was? I, I could be wrong here, but I think you were looking ahead to that $75,000 payday. You were worried about how you're going to deliver your 
I'm going to Disney World line after the game. <laughs> and you couldn't great. block anything out. Is that true? You got $75,000 to be the first player to no. announce you're going to Disney? Oh, it's not true. The number's it's, not true? Yeah, no, it was not that much. No, oh, it wasn't okay. 75000 I, I really don't remember. I'm going to say it was fifty, And maybe gotcha. it was fifty because I wouldn't do it. And they kept asking me all my agent. Uh, was driving me crazy. Oh, come on, you should do it. I said, man, I'm not doing that. That's what are we doing? We're talking about <laughs> the end of the game before I know. And then finally, I think it was, it might've been the Friday night before the Super Bowl. I said, I said, David, just do it. I'm sick of you calling me and we're talking, you know, back then there wasn't cell phones. <laughs> right. So he's calling the hotel room and everything like that. And I gave in. And of course, now I'm glad I did. Yeah, for sure. I mean, some people might have seen it as bad luck, right? You, you don't want to oh, put anything against it, right? Uh, sure. Even planning that ahead. I, but I, I, I mean, you just, yeah, you want to do something that it's going to work against you or whatever. Yeah, that's how I thought of it. That's how I wouldn't agree to it. But like well, I said, now I'm glad I did. I mean, it's in the New York Times crossword puzzle at least once a year. So, <laughs> right, right. That's the only uh, one I could get. Listen, you put Disney World on the map as far as I'm concerned. I don't know if anyone <laughs> okay. goes there without your uh, without your endorsement. Would you do it differently now? Now you could have someone follow you with a camera phone as you announce all the places you're going and just rack up the endorsements. I'm going to Chipotle. I'm going to Costco. You could oh. you can make 500 grand before you even leave the field. Yeah, I got to tell you, Sal, uh, thank God there wasn't cell phones. Talk radio didn't come around or sports talk radio didn't come around until you know, the mid eighties, but it didn't get big until the late. So I kind of missed a lot of that, which was uh, great. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, being a quarterback anywhere in, in the NFL, uh, even back when I played, it's still going to come down. If it doesn't go well, they're going to pick you apart, but not as bad as they do now with these guys. And mm -hmm. uh, so I, I don't know. I look at it. The fans are quicker to, uh, turn against the team, it seems like in all places, turn against oh, the yeah. quarterback. Because the, here's the problem with all sports talk and all that. It's so much just about two things, the quarterback and the coach. And we don't really expand it at all because we've trained it. We've trained them, everybody to think this way. And no matter what you do, if the team loses – well, it's got to be the quarterback somewhere there. What he did, he turned the ball right. over one time, whatever it is. It's, but hey, it's, it's price you pay. The NFL's promotes these quarterbacks. So they quarter, uh, promote them more than ever. And that's just another reason why they get paid so much money, too. Well, you know, there, there's obviously the media and then there's social media. And when you say, thank God oh. that wasn't around for you, what do you think you would have had trouble with the most? Like these uh, these computer cowards on Twitter, if you had to deal with that, or would you be able to ignore that? I mean, you certainly weren't someone who went out and caused trouble, um, you know, after games and stuff. No. So what what would it be? Just the, the fact oh. that they everyone yeah. goes after the quarterback? Is that it? I, I would have ignored, you know, the social media stuff 100 percent. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I really ignored, uh, even when I played, I didn't read the paper too much either. And it, every once in a while, I would kind of like, especially if we lost or I didn't play well, I would walk past the papers in the locker room. Sometimes I look out the corner and I said, yeah, I don't even want to know because why do mm -hmm. I want to put that in my head? And uh, yeah, if I was playing now, I definitely would not be any part of social media. And I would not know anything that people were saying. Because it's hard enough, and you know it, it really is. And to just to think about that and put that in your brain is just 
that would wear you down and um, it would affect your play. I think if you really uh, started paying attention to it and, and really believe in what is being said about you out there. I don't want to do this to you, but Bill Simmons, my podcast partner, yeah. insisted I ask you from guest alliance. He insisted. Me. He said, again, you don't have to answer this, but were you at least 5% rooting against your teammate, Jeff Hostetler in Super Bowl 25? No, not even 5%. Terrible question. See, I shouldn't No, it's even okay. Ask. It's yeah. okay. People That's ask okay. me it all the time. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's part of the league. I wasn't, you know, I, yeah, I wanted to be in there. Hey, come on. I thought Buffalo was the perfect defense for me because they mm-hmm. played a lot of zones and, you know, you can throw seams and stuff like that against them. And so, yeah, I was like, oh, man, I would love to play them and and see if it would work for me. But, um, no, I, I – um, what's the word for it? I was at peace with all that before the Super Bowl because I okay. knew I wasn't coming back when I got hurt. I broke my foot. And just tell Bill Simmons, I, I don't mind the question at all, but <laughs> my right foot to this day still hurts from that injury oh. I got against Buffalo during the regular season. I forgot right. he fell on the back. Leon Searcy, would that be the name? I think yeah, he, he fell was, on he the was back a, of my was... foot. And I walked to the sideline, and Parcells goes, what? What's wrong? I said, I think I broke my foot. He goes, oh, you didn't break your foot. You're good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, How does that not happen 15 times a game? The way these big, these 300-pounders are rolling up, they're right around you every single play, the quarterback. like We're almost lucky there's not four quarterbacks per game per team. Yeah, it's it's uh it, you know it, it I think it's got to be talked about and I I think well just to go back to this protection but offensive coordinators got to be a little more careful and you know if they too it's just it's always that some of the passes I don't know get under the center a little more I hate to be that old guy but deception yeah. is the a huge part of NFL football. Right. And the best way to deceive the defense is to be under center. And then you turn and you literally can't see the ball, who has it or whatever. And I, I'm just thinking back. I hate to always do this too. In my career, when they would send a play action pass in, I'd go, awesome. It's going to be a completion mm-hmm. because I knew I was going to fake the rhythm of the fake and then turning and finding and turning and moving your body to throw the ball. And it, it, it's, it's always, even to this day, it's simpler reads. It's look at this guy, and if he's not there, throw it to this one. That's it. That's how it was with us. It was really just look there, and if it's not there, yeah. give it to the back or somebody over the middle short. And that still holds true today. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I bring the Cleveland Browns up. Their play-action yeah. game is awesome. And Joe Flacco, he had like five yards between him and some of the pass rushers against Jacksonville last week. And, it, you mm-hmm. know, you can't run it against Jacksonville, but you can throw it against them. And, you know, when you get that kind of space, you're going to make good decisions and good throws. I don't know how I got yeah. off the subject, but no, I, I'm with you. And I think that's my biggest pet peeve now with the court, like no, not enough guys lining up on their set. Here's my absolute biggest, the fourth and one. Okay. You don't have to go for it every time on fourth and one, but right. most times you can line up to try to draw the, I, I hate when they send the punt team out right away, fourth and one from your 45 you're sending the try to what what does it matter if you're you're punting from your 40, right? Try to draw them off sides. And then sometimes they do, and they're doing it from the shotgun. Like, what kind of advantage are you getting calling cadence off cadence from the shotgun on fourth yeah. and one? Right? Is, does that make sense? Does that drive you nuts or is it just me? Yeah, a lot drives me nuts. Yeah, you know, it does. And <laughs> you know, if it's it, let's just say whatever, let's just say it's third and six. 
Every team right. in the league is trying to throw it seven yards to get a first down. Well, you know, I, I'm a little bit of the opposite sometimes. We know the defense is going to play to stop the shorter pass. So why aren't we mm-hmm. throwing it a little deeper to where they're not expecting it? And I'm not saying throw it 50 yards down the field. You know, my my oldest son, Christopher, kind of talks about this. And I go, it's a great concept. You're right. Everybody, well, we got to keep the drive going. We'll throw another damn screen. Oh, my God. I don't <laughs> If we took the percentage of completions away from quarterbacks with the screens right now, we wouldn't see 68% and 70 and all this stuff. We'd It would drop dramatically because everybody – I'm just going to throw a number. doesn't matter. It's five or six screens at least every game by almost right. every single team when you watch it. I have nothing mm-hmm. against it, but, man, you know, Boomer and I laugh all the time. I said, you know, I think I could have hit a few of those screens if we were playing, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It, it's, it's the way that – it's the old thing. Well, let's get it out in space and, you know, to our best player. But mm-hmm. what we're seeing as you watch it, man, these defensive backs, they see it so much at every level now. They're blowing it up, and they're not quite yeah. as good as they used to be. But, you know, that's still it's a big part of the game, and I don't think that's going to go away. By the way, it's coming to me that I think it was Leon Seals, not Leon Searcy, that fell on. Leon Seals, yeah. Searcy, a lot of big yeah, Leons. A lot of big Leons back there. Yeah, right, right. So, yeah. okay. Um, all listen, I know is I, both of them are yeah. really big <laughs> <laughs> and your, and your foot still hurts. Um, I want to, uh, everything we talked about leads me to think that the MVP should absolutely go to the quarterback. The quarterback is the most valuable position in football and maybe even all of sports. So people talk about Tyree kill and everybody else, Dak Prescott, Brock Purdy are the favorites right now on FanDuel. Do one of those two get your vote? Or somebody else. Well, right now, it would be hard for me to pick one of those two, um, you know, just because I think they're both playing well. I think, look, Brock Purdy, I don't know what to say about that. And, you know, I get a little upset. You can only deal with what you got and what you do. Yes, Mm -hmm. he's on a really good team. Oh, Kyle Shanahan. Yes, Kyle Shanahan is probably the best play designer and play caller in the league. But Brock Purdy still has to throw it completed, find the right guy and all this other stuff. And Dak Prescott. You know, I follow his career very closely. I saw him at Mississippi State many times. I'd watch him on Saturdays, and I don't even think it's close. This is the best I've seen him throw the football ever, and it's coming out of his hand good. He's got more power. He looks more limber. He's moving better. Uh, So, and and, and that's the other one. I got to give Mike McCarthy tons of credit. You know, he gets rid of Kellen Moore, and we see how that's going in out there in Los Angeles, not I'm not blaming all on Kellen Moore, but I'm blaming some of it because, hell, they lost a couple of games because he couldn't pick up a blitz. Uh, mm-hmm. So that bothers me. But Mike McCarthy, oh, we're going to run the ball, run the ball. As it went along, what is he now? Hell, it's the air raid. It's just give it to Dak and let's go. And uh, my last thing about this, and I think he's doing a great job, Mike McCarthy. He's handled everything well. But he's got a New Jersey diner play sheet in front of him. I mean, that's <laughs> right. unbelievable. How does he figure it out? But I've always laughed at that. His play sheets are humongous. And and for people that don't know, you know, New Jersey yeah. diners and you go in. Sure. They got every food in the world ever created on that damn menu. And that's what his right. play sheet looks like. But a lot of credit to him. I really mean it. A lot. And then, is that, I agree with you. By the way, is that by design because you get your mouth covered? I mean, there's so many cutaways now to the coaches. No, uh, no, that's, out a, that's real plays no. on it. That's, that's real. real. Plays okay. It has yeah. to be that big. And yeah, I, I saw him the other night. Yeah. 
I'm sure I can mm-hmm. see him. He's going, he goes, where the hell is it? Because there's, you know, but <laughs> too he's many. been doing it his whole career. And yeah. uh, I'll, I'll just say this about him too. Uh, he's great with people, great with the press. And when I was doing games up in Green Bay and he was a head coach, hey, Sal, he couldn't have been nicer. He answered all your mm-hmm. questions. He was he was just a great dude. So uh, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm happy for him. Because when you coach Dallas, as we all know, as you mm-hmm. you know more than even me, it, mm-hmm. it's the spotlight's always on you. Twelve and four is not good enough. Oh my God, you know twelve and four is not good enough in this league, right. in this world now. But that's just the way it is when you play for Dallas. Yeah, it's a lot. Well, it, it's it's kind of two things, right? Because yes, as coaches, Cowboys is going to be more expected of you. But Jerry also has a pretty long leash when it comes to you know uh, keeping coaches around but I agree with you I think he's gotten a lot of you know this guy Mike McCarthy people just waiting for him to screw up and it hasn't happened and meanwhile all these other coaches week after week after week make curious decisions so McCarthy may have moved up to I I think top five or six I think in the league right now an unbelievable job I mean you can tell by the team the energy all that stuff and I mean you know they played Philadelphia up in Philadelphia to the end and it was a bad game against the San Francisco 49ers but I think, you know, I'm not sure. I'm actually, this is one of the things I was doing in my office and I want to start looking it up and kind of getting a better feel. Did he start to change after that 49er game going, you know, just running your basic stuff and trying to think you're going to run and control this and that? That doesn't happen in the NFL. Man, you've mm-hmm. got to be on top of it every single week as a play caller on the offensive side. Defense, not quite as complicated. I don't, it's just not. But the offense and they seem to keep coming up with new ideas. And I watch, you know, I love watching the games on TV, but I actually watch it on tape too a lot. But I pick yeah. certain teams I want to look at each week. And they were doing things. I go, hey, nobody else is running that play. Minnesota, right. I see them sometimes. Kevin O'Connell, I go, nobody's running that play. And, of course, Kyle Shannon, there's quite a few. There are about six or eight coordinators of the on offense that I think are doing an unbelievable job uh, in the NFL. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I don't want to keep you much longer, but That's here's right. my hypothetical. You're down three with 45 seconds left. No timeouts. Ball on your own 20. Who are the two current receivers you'd want on your team? Or you could just take the Cowboys kicker. Aubrey, what do you want to do? <laughs> yeah. oh, excuse me. <laughs> a couple of weeks, Thanksgiving. Uh, you yeah. know, we start the show and I said a few things. I said, you know, and what the hell's Aubrey's first name? Uh, now I forget. Oh, it doesn't matter. But I brought him up and I said, he's 24. I think it was at the time, 20, he's 24 for 24. And I said, this is the first time I've ever even mentioned a kicker's name on TV ever. You know, (laughs) Brandon, Aubrey, Brandon. Yep. 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 (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's phenomenal. It really is. And I'll tell you, I always say this when coaches get, this is a little different, but when they get down there near the goal line and I'm not picking on him because I know it's, it's a tough job. For Brandon Staley, I think they were on the three or four yard line this past week. Mm-hmm. Fourth down. It's zero to zero against Denver. And they go for it. And mm. look, I just know even as an ex-player, kick the field goal. What do you think? It's going to be a high scoring game with Denver and you? No, right. it's not. Three points. But the difference of getting that three points when I even when I played. They kick it, and I go, all right, we're up three to nothing. It's it's just emotionally. But if they yeah. missed it, which they would sometimes, Sal, I just go, oh, my God, we did all that damn work, and we got nothing? And, and right. it, it's 
he it's it really is it it's still to this day emotional to the players in the exact same way being ahead in an NFL game is so important because you just your vibe is good and the other team is doing the opposite man we got to score we got to do and they start mm-hmm. it, it's it's I learned that from Bill Parcells just get yeah. ahead and let them chase you and in 1990, when we won the Super Bowl that year, our scoring on opening drives, I think, led the league. Our defense didn't give up any points on opening drives. So just mm. think about that, how you're now managing the game from there on out. And right. Bill Parcells, not to get into all this, but on the second drive of a game one time, we're playing the Miami Dolphins and Dan Marino. We were up seven to nothing. I'm walking on the field, and I hear him, hey, Sims, behind me. And I turned to him because I knew what he was going to say. Kill the clock. <laughs> First quarter. Milk the clock. Let's keep this game to as few as, you know, drives that we can have because we want to keep Marino off the field. <laughs> wow. I think the game yeah. lasted about two hours and 40 minutes. <laughs> it was a boring <laughs> game. Clock. I think we won 20 to three, something like that. But I, I don't know. I don't know how I got into all that. But that just shows I you know. about managing games. Yeah, and doing all these little things that the fans and even media people and even guys like me won't catch on to and how important it is to winning and losing. I think you're right. And especially now, I mean, there's a lot of quarterbacks that can't play from behind. There's a lot of young quarterbacks, a lot of backups. So why not go up six nothing? Why oh. why do you have to get a touchdown to go up ten nothing? Right. I think and by the way, I know analytics drives you bananas or whatever they're no. shoving down down our throats or calling it analytics. I'm going to tell you something right now. I've come to a conclusion. I think it's nonsense. I don't even think it really exists. I think it's a bunch of nerds laughing at us because they know they're driving us crazy, but it's not even a real thing. It's like crypto and um, three card Monty all mixed up in one. It doesn't even exist. I I agree. It's well said. And you know, there's so many things to that. Have they ever said analytics says don't go for it? I've never, never. Everyone, no. oh, the analytics says 51.9, you should go for it. Well, and and I just, it's not baseball. Baseball, I understand, you know, mm-hmm. this, I, I it makes sense because it's, we know this, the environment. And in football, if I'm playing, you know, let's say, I, whatever, and it, it depends, it's not, it's who we're playing against. Yeah, of course. They got the best run defense in the NFL. And the analytics is telling us go for it on fourth and two and a half or whatever. No, the coach has got to go down. We're not running the ball or doing this again. <laughs> that, that's what gets mixed up in this. And, you know, there I don't even hear people even um, defending analytics anymore. Because yeah, it's true. It, it, it's, it's gone. And it just doesn't make sense. Because if you go by analytics, you're going to go for everything every time. And, right. Yeah. I mean, like I said. Well, you know, everybody must have it on their damn computers when they do the games. Well, analytics says 52.7. They should go for it. What the, who are we playing? What are the circumstances? What's the score? What's mm-hmm. the weather? And did you, right. Did your starting tailback get hurt uh, an hour ago? Have you have three fumbles already? Like it, it all matters, right? Well, How many know, false starts do you go? Yeah. Yeah. How about this? When you hear people, well, this, you know, they're, they're the best team in the NFL, throwing the ball plus 10 yards on the outside near the numbers in the, in the second quarter of the game. Oh, my God, my head just exploded. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's can't we nonsense. just keep it similar? If I, man, I'm going to next, I think on Christmas, Christmas Eve, we do it. I, I'm going to do this segment, I hope, on CBS. And oh. I'm going to just go all these things. 
got to high point the ball. You got to get you plant your you got to stick your foot in the ground and go north and south. <laughs> well, which one is it, north or south? I don't know which. <laughs> Just all this jargon drives me crazy. I Don't used to love us. this when you would do the, the thrower of the football and all that stuff. Oh, you, I mean, you have, you have a hundred of them that you can't I, erase from your head. Yeah. I can listen to usually one game and that really college is the best. Oh my God. And mm -hmm. I can literally write 15 things down. And <laughs> so I told our producer, I said, yeah, I want to do it. And you know, it, it uh, it's endless. The not the thing. They'll, they'll have to stop me. I got so many and uh, but it, it is fun. I like doing it. And I never in my career announcing games, I don't think I said, oh, it's cover two or, oh, they're playing a three technique or, oh, my God, hell, I, I played 15 years. What, the three technique? He's about, what, what the hell is all that? No, nobody <laughs> at home knows that. Right. You, you know, so some of those, whatever, you know, it's just. Yeah, you have to communicate to your. Got to get the, the you got to get the ball to your right. best players in space. Oh no, I wanted to throw it when they're really crowded <laughs> and there's nothing over there. Yeah, okay, there's another. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, wait, hold on. This Go is ahead. Hold on. right behind me. Hey, got to stay ahead of the sticks. Got to stay ahead of the chains. <laughs> <laughs> That's, hey, his catch radius is really unbelievable. Oh my god, <laughs> well, there's mis miscommunication, Sal, on the last play. No, it's not miscommunication. Somebody did the wrong damn thing. Stop yeah. miscommunication. Somebody made a mistake. And my favorite of all time, you got to leverage the football. What the mm. hell does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> I have I have a theory uh, behind this. I think Vince Lombardi came up with the greatest quote, inspirational quote of all time. Winning isn't everything. It's the only thing. And every coach in the NFL has been chasing that quote forever, whether it's on hard knocks or whether you're watching, yeah. these guys feel like they have to come up with something profound and yeah. you're just not going to touch that. And along the way, you're going to sound buffoonish with uh, a lot of the things you just read to me. Well, how about this? I'm going to give you yeah. some history. Our team priest with the Giants for all my career, I was here, Father Ken Moore, St. Cecilia's. In New mm -hmm. Jersey, who was the high school football coach there one time? Vince Lombardi. And when he heard that statement that you just said, he would get so upset. And oh. he said to me, Vinny never said that. And he goes, winning isn't everything. No, what, what's it again? Winning. It, it, it's the only thing. Yeah, right. No, the will to win is the only thing. Oh. That's, oh, changes everything. The will to win is the only thing. And, you know, I said, you know, I, of course, that was stupid of me. I go, did he really say that? He goes, yes. He got all mad. And, you know, Father Ken Moore had a little temper. And I go, Father, I believe you. <laughs> Sorry, Father. <laughs> wow. You know, Vinny never said that. I get so mad at this. And, you know, it's plastered on every place in the world. But the will to win is the only thing. It makes him look more arrogant than he probably was to, uh, to go with the the quote that everybody knows, right? And yeah. If he actually well, I, didn't I say it the other way. I don't know when that quote yeah. became so, uh, I, probably when he was coaching, Sal, it, that might not have been out there. It's one of those right. things you hear later in many years and all that. And, um, you know, I will say this, Vince Lombardi, um, not to get, a, get off on everything, uh, but right. he created so many things and ahead of his time in the NFL the treatment of the players, the treatment of the team, how they traveled and practice and how he treated them, you know, accordingly and giving them verbal things where like offensive linemen could switch, 
roles, like make a call and I'll block down and you pull around instead of like, this is my guy. And no matter where he lines up, I got to go get him. You know, he was, he kind of started mm-hmm. that whole trend, which is of course commonplace now, but to do it back then, the green Bay sweep was great because they blocked it like 90 different ways. Yeah. Yeah. You know, depending on how the defense lined up, they would change the play and go with it. And so those things are pretty cool. And it kind of puts Vince Lombardi, I think, in a different light as far as Absolutely. his skill was Bill Parcells. The, you know, all the New Jersey coaches, high school coaches and everything, they all coach the same way. Kill them during the week. Kill them. Just, man, practice. And then right before the game, tell them how much you think of them, how much you love them, and just change their whole attitude. And Bill Parcells was a lot like that for sure. Really, the New Jersey. You think the New Jersey diners had anything to do with this, or was just uh, <laughs> just something in the water? I'd love to know uh, I don't more know. about this. Well, Vince Lombardi's <laughs> a legend, so everybody was him, you know, up here. Right. And uh, sure, it, it, it. Hey, when I first came to the Giants, and I, I was associated with a lot of high schools camps, and I'd go talk to the kids, and damn, it seemed like everyone was a knockoff of Vince Lombardi. So mm. <laughs> they were tough. And, you know, it was just part of the game and how they coached. But. Well, you're uh, you're a legend yourself. The great Phil Sims. What a oh. team player. He's going to Disney World. You could check him out there <laughs> or you could check him out on the NFL on CBS where every Sunday he'll give his FanDuel picks. Phil, thanks for so much. This was uh, such a joy. Sal, thanks, man. A L- lot of good questions. You do a great job. I like the hat. You're an Oregon guy too, huh? Well, my son goes there now, so I'm oh. uh, forced to wear the hat. I mean, for, okay. you, know, you know how much tuition is, so I, sh- I should get a hat out of it, right? <laughs> no, <laughs> that. I don't know anymore. But I got oh, that's right. <laughs> I got grand- grandchildren now getting ready to go to college. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I don't Uh-oh. know how much it costs. <laughs> get that Disney World uh, endorsement back. It'll help yeah, a lot. <laughs> I wish. Uh, Phil, thanks so much. Right. We're going to be back. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, welcome back to Cousin Sal's Winning Weekend. Let's bring in our guest, one of the most prolific passers in NFL history, an NFL MVP, an NFL Man of the Year, and most importantly, a member of the Suffolk Sports Hall of Fame. You can catch him every <laughs> Sunday on the NFL on CBS, arguably the greatest blonde former quarterback featured on that panel. Boomer Sison is here. What's happening, Boomer? Hey, Sal, it's great to see you. Thanks for having me on, and thanks for uh, doing your research. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's all right there. People should know this. One thing I didn't know, though, we were talking about the holidays and about quarterbacks buying their linemen and teammates um, uh, extravagant gifts. Derek Carr being the uh, most recent Rolexes, diamond necklaces. Did you get your teammates gifts when you played? 
Yeah, 100%. Uh, bought him shotguns, cowboy boots. I gave by Anthony Munoz, a brand new explorer when he uh, retired. I <laughs> uh, did give them watches as well. I can tell you I didn't make nearly as much money as today's guys uh, right. are making. And if I were, I'd probably give them each a million dollars for Christmas this year. But um, <laughs> uh, qu- quite frankly, the way that everybody's getting paid these days, I think most of the quarterbacks should get some gifts back uh, coming the other way, especially from their left tackles. Yeah, I was just going to say, and you could be honest, did Anthony Munoz, aside from the retirement retirement gift, get a better gift than the rest of the O-line? Did you sneak him like a VCR <laughs> to the side? You know what? Uh, he wouldn't let me. Uh, it was really oh. hard giving him the gift when he retired. Too. You, you figured that the, the team would do something, but the team really didn't do anything for him. At least I don't remember them doing much for him. Uh, so I just felt like you know it was a good way of saying thank you, Anthony, for all the tremendous years that uh, that he kept me above ground. And, and quite frankly, when you have a player like that, a Hall of Fame type player, uh, everybody else plays up to that player. So uh, not only was he great, he made everybody else great around him. So I think we would all agree on that. Yeah, I was liking it too because, you know, you put your life in these guys' hands basically, <laughs> yes. right? It's it, it, You should really hand like the pilot as you deplane a, a gift um, every time, right? It's a kind of a similar thing. I know one thing about Zach Wilson. I wouldn't be happy with the way my guys played last week against the Dolphins. That's for sure. I mean, they should have, they should have all sent him a masseuse this week uh, because he took so many shots, and so did Tommy DeVito, for that matter, uh, down in New Orleans. So not uh, two great offensive lines back to back playing pretty poorly last weekend. Absolutely. Um, you played for those great Bengals teams uh, back in the day. Sam White was a coach. This weirdly came up on my Instagram reel. Uh, I didn't even know about this. I mean, I, I was a huge football fan back then, but against the Oilers in 1989, I'm sure you remember this. He ran up the score so bad. You guys were up, I think, 61-7, and he onside kicked it against Jerry Glanville. Was that, uh, do you remember this? No. I don't even think you were in at the end, but. No, I, um, I do remember this. This is what happened. We were up, I believe, this is what I remember to have happened. I remember we were up 58-7, to seven and he was trying to call timeout to stop the clock because he wanted to get the field goal team on so we could get the 61 and set the record for the uh, the Cincinnati Bengals. So, of course, he calls timeout, and we send out Jim Breach to go kick the field goal. And <laughs> lo and behold, Jerry Glanville calls timeout to try to ice the kicker <laughs> in this situation. So Jimmy makes the kick. We go on to win. I think it was 61 to 7 or 61 to right. 14, something like that. And I remember walking across the field telling Warren Moon, listen, I had nothing to do with this. I didn't want to do this. I tried to stop him from doing this because I knew like five weeks later we were going to see them down at Houston. And that never went well for me personally, I could tell you that. And I do remember that Sam Weiss was waving goodbye to Jerry Glanville. They wouldn't shake hands because they hated each other. Wow. Why would Glanville, I I have so many questions, but Glanville prolonging the misery, calling a timeout, even if it is an effort to ice the kicker. He was just trying to one-up Sam. He was just trying to one-up Sam. That's all it was about. You know, the game was over, like, you know, 20 minutes prior to this moment and and all of a sudden glanville calls timeout to try to ice the kicker i thought that was brilliant move on on jerry's point on jerry's part and it just i'm I'm sure it annoyed sam and it was uh probably very uh satisfying for sam to be able to walk off and just wave goodbye to jerry as opposed to shaking his hand uh, scoring 61 points was crazy 
don't you miss this one upsmanship with that between coaches and everything? Like, I feel like the, the, how great would it be? We, we try to paint Belichick as this miserable the, a guy who would kind of do this, but the time for him to do this would be against the Colts and the deflate gate. And we, we didn't yeah. really see it. Well, wouldn't it be great if coaches went at it like this in 2023? Well, we kind of did, well, we did see it with Jerry, uh, with Jerry, uh, with uh, Rex Ryan and oh, Bill right. Belichick. Yeah. You know, Rex, Rex was, you know, he's WWE personified. So Rex was great. Right. He was one of the old school personalities, just like his dad was. His dad was an unbelievable personality on the Philadelphia Eagles sideline. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and you kind of like you do miss a little bit of that. I think Sean Payton had a little bit of that starting this offseason when he basically criticized Nathaniel Hackett as the worst coaching job in the history of the NFL when he took over the Denver Broncos and what he was inheriting. And you saw how everybody reacted to that. You know, back in the day, we didn't have social media getting involved. We didn't have all these different talking heads on TV getting involved. So I think everybody nowadays tends to be a little bit more careful with how they respond to different things in the social space simply because they just don't want to get bombarded. I want to talk New York real quick. You have Mm -hmm. a a great show on FAN, WFAN, great radio show. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot. Which New York fan base is the most annoying? The Jets. Really? The Jet fan base. And and the only reason they're annoying is because they've been so bad for what, for so long. I guess they get the longest drought when it comes to playoffs now in the four major sports in the, uh, in North America. So uh, I think that, you know, from people who work on our station, <clears throat> excuse me, who are Jet fans, to the fans that call in, I mean, they, they are just completely miserable. And mm. it gets to be frustrating after a while trying to be the therapist for, you know, a very large fan base who hasn't had a lot to, to cheer about. <laughs> I, I mean, you didn't even give it a beat. You knew right away it was the Jets, right? Well, you know, I played there for three years, too. So yeah. I kind of get it. You know, I played in uh, 93, 4, and 5. I had three coaches in three years. It was a very unstable franchise back then. I think they stabilized it with Joe, uh, um, Joe Douglas is their GM, but I, he's made one really big mistake. And that is, is he's stuck by Zach Wilson, uh, mm-hmm. as opposed to like what happened with the San Francisco 49ers. They realized Trey Lance was not their guy and they were lucky. They got an in-house guy. Uh, and that, you know, they hit the lottery without, a, without question. But mm-hmm. once they realized that Trey Lance couldn't do it, they weren't afraid to admit their mistake and get rid of them. And Joe Douglas was unwilling to do that here in New York. Yeah, absolutely. If you had a bet on it of the four major sports, which New York team do you think breaks the drought and wins the city's next championship? The Giants, I think, will last, right? Right, exactly. I'm hoping that it's going to be the New York Rangers. You know, I'm a hockey fanatic. I've been going to the Mm -hmm. Garden since 1968. That is my team. That and the Knicks Mm -hmm. are the two you know, guilty pleasures that I have away from my job that, you know, sometimes skew my own opinion because I get mm-hmm. pretty torn up about it if they, if they don't play well or if the management doesn't do what I think is the right thing. But for me, I, the Rangers are a good team right now. They're a good team. And Chris Drury should make some, you know, minor trades at the trade deadline, if not a major one. And, uh, you know, he'll have this team humming head, heading into the playoffs. So right now they, they're playing great and look to be the one team that is on that path for a potential championship uh, sooner than the others. All right. I wish you luck, although not really, because I grew up an <laughs> Islanders fan. That was a great, great rivalry in the 80s. The, the First of all, 1940 is up there with the 
one of the best chants of a, it really would get under all oh, Rangers so, fans. So, skins, so, right? so, so is uh, Potvin sucks, by the way, uh, which I yell sucks. at, which I, you know, which I yell at the Thanksgiving table to my son-in-law who happens to be on the Islanders. So you can imagine how difficult that is right. for me to digest my food around holiday time. Yeah, it got worse for Potvin. Potvin sucks was uh was like kind compared to some of the yes, other stuff they yell right. about you're Potvin. Absolutely right. Yeah. Um, I'm a Long Island guy originally, like yourself. You were a great quarterback, obviously, for East Islip. Um, I played safety for John Glenn High School. We won one game each of my last two oh. years, about a decade after you. I started oh. most of my senior year. Did you ever hear of me? You ever heard of me? Uh, no, I'd never heard of you until I got the Zoom to come on the show. <laughs> <laughs> you're not supposed to be that honest, Boomer, for God's no, sake. No, I'm just saying, cousin Sal, you're like everybody's cousin Sal. So we, everybody go. has a cousin Sal here on Long Island, as you just uh, you know, you just uh, mentioned. But um, I will say, John Glenn High School, I knew of you guys because we always had you in a four-way scrimmage, and we would beat you up, and then you'd end up losing the next two uh, scrimmages in that day. And then right. you wouldn't go on and win another game that year. And I really felt <laughs> bad for you guys. That sounds right. What else do you remember playing at East Isop? When did the college scouts start coming around and taking a look? They didn't. Um, they really didn't. Um, really? Uh, I tell a story that people don't realize. Yeah, I was an all-state quarterback, but I threw like 10 times a game. I was just bigger and stronger than everybody else. And I was a really good athlete. I didn't run a lot. My coach wouldn't let me run back in, in, uh, in high school because he knew that if if I got hurt, we didn't have anybody else that would could play quarterback. So we won because we were really well coached and we really were a tough football team, tough bunch of uh, short Italian and Irish guys with bad haircuts. And then there was the big Norwegian <laughs> as the quarterback. So, um, you know, it wasn't until a basketball game that I had my senior year when we were playing at West Islip High School and I was going against their best player. And that best player was being recruited by everybody for football. I mean, Penn State, Virginia, Maryland, Boston College, everybody up and down the East Coast was after him. And we were playing in a basketball game and his team was ranked number one in the county. And we were like mm -hmm. a 500 team coming in to play them at West Islip. And lo and behold, I had my best game ever as a high school basketball player, scored like 38 points, held him to like 10. And we won mm -hmm. a game on their court. And after the game, there was a Maryland coach who was there to recruit this young man. And that Maryland coach came over to our locker room and said to our basketball coach, can I talk to Boomer? I thought it was one of the basketball coaches from Maryland. This is how out of it I was. And it turned out to be the running back coach, Tommy Groom. And he was uh, responsible for the Long Island area. And he said, hey, could you uh, take a visit to Maryland? Would you like to come and play football for Maryland? I'm like, sure. When, when are we coming? He goes, well, how about in two weeks? I said, sure, I'll go. I had never been on a plane before. Got on the Eastern Airlines plane at LaGuardia Airport, flew down to National, took a cab over to the University of Maryland, spent the weekend there, got back on the plane. Dad picked me up at the airport and said, how'd it go? I said, I don't know. It was kind of interesting. I had a good time. It was fun. He goes, well, what happened? I said, I don't know. I signed some paper and left. He's like, okay. So we got home. My high school coach called my dad and said, your, your son just signed a letter of intent. And he got a scholarship for the University of Maryland to play football. And I was like, I did. I didn't realize that. So <laughs> I got there and I was 10th string Sal, believe it or not. And my first two years, uh, one year I was a JV team. The other year I was, I was uh, redshirted. Then finally my sophomore year in 81, a couple guys got hurt. I got the job and never looked back. Wow. That's amazing. And was your dad annoyed at you for signing something and not even remembering it from the day before or no, it's not like, it's not like it is today. It was a much different yeah. back then. You know, I didn't have a, my mom died when I was seven. My dad was, you know, we had, I had two older sisters. He was raising the three of us. 
in a small house in East Islip. So that's why he didn't go with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I went by myself and it was just, a, it was just a whole weird story how it happened. And it was interesting. The quarterback before me there was Mike Tice, who was the eventual head coach of the Vikings. Yeah, Vikings uh, yeah. He was the quarterback at Maryland. He was from central Islip high school. And then his brother, John was my tight end. So uh, those are the guys that were there. When I got there, we were, we were a decent team when I got there. Um, and then they changed to Bobby Ross and Ralph Friedgen came in as our offense coordinator. And that's when me, Frank Reich and Scott uh, um, Zolak and, and uh, Neil O'Donnell and Stan Gelba all went to the NFL, like five quarterbacks in a row all went. And that was because Bobby Ross and Ralph Friedgen were our coaches. Yeah, but I have to say your rags to riches story is better than I think any of these other. You're a quarterback, a lefty, by the way, not not yeah. a common thing now or then uh, who threw 10 passes a game. That's uh, something. That's something else. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I tell kids all the time, you know, this is why I was part of me was uh, is really glad that I didn't have the transfer portal to go into and wind my way out of a school where I didn't want to put mm-hmm. up or go for the competition or the fight. I had to fight my way through everything and it made it all that more worthwhile when I finally did make it to the NFL because, you know, nobody really, I, most of the people in my life thought I would make it, but yeah. it really truly comes down to the individual as to whether or not they really truly want to make it and sacrifice a lot of things in order to do that. The interesting thing, one final story of, of that whole deal, two years into my career, I take a kid around uh, and show him around and, and we're kind of trying to get him to sign there. So he's on a recruiting visit. I take him around for a weekend in New York and uh, he was the top quarterback out of uh, Pennsylvania at that time. And he could have went to Penn State and Pittsburgh and could have went to all these different schools. And he decided to go to Maryland. And they decided to go to Maryland because they told him that I was either going to get married or I was going to fail out of school. So oh, wow. he decides to come to Maryland. And uh, it turns out that he and I become best friends. He becomes my roommate, best men in each other's wedding. And it turned out that his father was my high school coach's high school coach on Long Island. And he was born on Long Island, but by the time he was three or four years old, his father decided to move back to Pennsylvania. No and kidding. my high school coach hadn't seen him in a long time. That guy is Frank Reich. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. So wow is right. So Frank Reich's father was my high school coach's mentor and the guy that he looked up to as a high school coach here in Long Island. And then Frank and his family, when Frank was younger, when I guess probably three or four years old, uh, his family decided to move back to, to Pennsylvania. So they moved back to Lebanon, Pennsylvania, I believe. And uh, the rest is history. And my high school coach hadn't seen Frank Reich Sr. until that spring game, my third year, when Frank Reich decided to come to Maryland. It's crazy. Wow. And you you won the Yastrzemski Award, too, right, for best baseball player on Long Island? I did. And I, I that was really my first love. I thought I was going to be able to go to play. And, uh, I did have, I did have an offer from St. John's on long Island. And, uh, there were two other left-handed quarterbacks on that quarterbacks, pitchers on that roster and John Franco and Frank Viola were at, uh, were at Mm -hmm. St. John's and Howie Gershberger, the pitching coach for St. John's was also a roving scout, uh, for the California angels was also a physical education teacher at East high school. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. he was trying to get me to go to St. John's to be with uh, with Frank Viola and, of course, uh, you know, the great John Franco. John Franco. So if Fandle were to put odds on you to play a pro sport, baseball would have been first, football second, or basketball second? Uh, would have been, it would have been baseball first, football second. Basketball was a good basketball player, but uh, 
we were playing the Salvation Army team out of Hempstead, uh, Sal, mm-hmm. and uh, we yeah. were bigger than them, but they were faster than us. And I, I had never played <laughs> in a in an athletic event where I was so outclassed uh, in terms of speed as as I did against that that uh, right. the Salvation Army Hempstead basketball team that just absolutely ran us right out of the gym. And I decided, no, basketball, I don't think that's going to be the sport for me. <laughs> it's probably going to get worse. Yeah, with that. Right, um, exactly. So the award for best quarterback in Suffolk County was named after you until last week when they changed it to Vinny Testaverde. Did that bum you out a little bit? <laughs> oh, you didn't even well, fall for it. <laughs> I never, would never fall for it, but you know, because Vinny's from Nassau County, so you gotta right, know I that. Know. I screwed that up. I know some Monica. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did screw that up. Uh, all right, Boober, we've taken enough of your time. Thanks so much. That was great. You could follow him on X at Seven Boomer Esiason and see him on the NFL Today on CBS, where he gives his Fanduel picks each and every week, and hear him on the Fan as he engages in verbal battles with boisterous Jets fans from Yonkers calling in from their pickup truck. (laughs) Boomer, thanks very much for being here. All right, Sal. Good job, man. I'll talk to you soon. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. You must be 21 or older and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. You have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit FanDuel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXT STEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit C ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text H-O-P-E-N-Y in New York.